All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. So this is a very special conversation today. I hope you find it special as well. We're talking about, um, we'll continue the conversation that we started last week about vision and implementation. And today we're going to talk about the great war that exists inside each and every single human being and some specific strategies in managing the conflict, the inner conflict, that we are pretty much constantly facing. So let's just quickly recap some of the core ideas that we spoke about last week. If you recall, last week we spoke about the spiritual worlds, and one of the major ideas that we came to is this notion that what begins as a vision ultimately culminates as implementation if all goes well, right? You have a vision, and then it, it can, you continue the process, you work the vision, you clarify the vision, you articulate the vision, you make decisions along the way, etc. And ultimately, the goal is, the ultimate goal is, that you should actually deliver on the vision that you had. If you don't deliver on the vision, listen, it might have been an enjoyable process, it could lead to other things, but if, if at the end of the day, nothing happens, then... We might say, again, without judgment, it's not, a, it's not, a, not saying it's a negative, but at the end of the day, it didn't go. As you would say in Yiddish, it didn't, uh, didn't go, it didn't happen. Right? You had a vision, you had an idea, you had a, you had a concept, a dream, and it fell short. Now, by Hashem... This doesn't exist, right? God's vision doesn't fall short. God has a vision and God implements the vision. But what's God's vision? God's vision is, as we articulated last week, God's vision is a little bit different than our vision. Well, a little bit different than a vision that you and I might have that we could control ourselves. Although there's nothing outside of God's control, God chose, God chose, Matt, do you mind, um, I see Ed just came to the door, and we let him in. But if you don't, yeah, if you could, don't mind just showing him where we are. Um, God's vision is a little bit different. Not that a human being couldn't have a similar vision, but God's vision is that I want a space that is autonomous, where, the, where I'm not so obvious, and I want that, in that place, human beings with all of their complications should choose to engage in a relationship with me. That is the vision. Right? So in short, the way we describe this, pass down the, head, the, way that we, the way we describe this in the Midrash, in Chassidus, in Kabbalah is God desired to have a home on earth. That's God's vision. A home, God wanted to feel at home here. That itself is absolutely stunning. Why is it stunning? Because this place the way it is by nature is not hospitable to God. Now, who made it inhospitable? God. I guess you could say it was through the choice of Adam and Eve. All right, whatever. I'd rather not blame anyone in particular. Nonetheless, the way the world is created is that there is a natural inhospitability. Inhus, no. <laughs> Is that a word? Did I get that right? Inhospitability. Inhospitability. That sounds totally made up, but I think it's the right word. There's a natural... Huh? 
Inhospitality. Uh, no, 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 no. It's inhospitability. Whatever. It's anyway. The there's a natural incongruency. There you go. With the Abishir, with God, with the divine. Hashem created a world, God created an environment where it's dark, not physically, none of this is physical. I mean, it's all physical, but not physical darkness. It's spiritually dark. It's spiritually antagonistic to holy values. It, it's spiritually a, 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 a place that's filled with ego and narcissism, and it's filled with all sorts of distractions and all sorts of things that pull us away from our divine core, from the truth. God intentionally creates that place. It's not by accident. It's not like, oh man, totally missed on that one. <laughs> like I thought I was going for like a nice, bright paradise and whoops, look what came out. It's, God didn't swing and miss on this. This was absolutely the intention. So when I said last week and now again this morning that God had a vision and the vision is manifest and delivered in this space this is what God wanted. God wanted a place where he's not immediately noticed. Where he, it's not, obvious that God's in, not immediately obvious that God's in control, but that we, through outside messages, we'll call that Torah, through internal messages, we'll call that the soul, come to realize, and of course, all the things that happen in life that point us, if we so choose to see it in, a, in the right direction, that we should then say, I see the truth. It's like the Wizard of Oz, sort of, because it's been a while, I don't remember all the details, but like seeing behind the curtain, I think that was a disappointment. Wasn't it a disappointment in the Wizard of Oz? Yes. Seeing behind the curtain. He was just behind the curtain. He wasn't a real, he was just a man. He was just a dude to be a wizard. All right, so the bad example. All right, bad, strike, that, strike that from the record. But the whole point, the, I'll tell you what the Baal Shem Tov says. The Baal Shem Tov said that, that, that light, life is a game of hide and seek. God hides, and our job is to seek. You know what the worst part of hide and seek is? You guys know what the worst part of hide and seek is? Yeah? It's when you're hiding, and then they give up. <laughs> right? And then it's like, oh. So, funny story. My kid tells me, one of my kids tells me yesterday, it's like, oh, we were playing hide and seek, and then I had to go somewhere or we had to go somewhere, so then we just left the kid. I'm like, you can't leave the kid. You, leave, you can't leave the kid. It's like, you can't leave the kid. This literally happened yesterday. I'm like, that's, that, that's, that's, that's against the unwritten and or written rules of hide and seek. You got to at least give a shout out. Like, wherever you are, we're done. I, you can't just leave the kid. It's like, oh, they had to go to shul or something. Oh, whatever. But like, you got to have heads up. Anyway, right? The worst thing is when you're the one hiding and you're like, you have a really good spot. And then you realize... Is it really a good spot? Or did everybody actually just check out of the game and no one FYI'd you? And now you're like super lonely in your hiding spot. We don't want to do that to God. God is, creates a world, creates an environment where naturally divine reality is hidden behind a facade of, I don't know, materialism, nature, Whatever you want to call it, God is hidden behind a, a facade, and our job is to search. I think I said this last week, I probably did, that the, this is by design. God created a dark space for us to create light, find the light, open the space to bring in the light, whatever, whatever language you want to use, it's the same, same core idea. 
And in doing so, there's another layer to this, choose our relationship with God, which is a very important piece of it. You see, if it's an obvious, if there's a space that's obviously bright, that's obviously illuminated with divine awareness, and a human being in that divinely woke universe finds God, there's no, it's, there's not much accomplishment to that. There's not a chiddush. There's no, there's no novelty in that. It's not like, oh, wow, look what happened and look, what, look, look at the choice of that person choosing a relationship with God. It's kind of obvious and it's kind of forced. It's like the obvious and forced relationship. So that doesn't have the same type of meaning and depth as a relationship that's chosen. A relationship that's forced is less valuable than a relationship that's chosen. And God didn't want a forced relationship with us. God has forced relationships, if we were to use such terms, with the angels. The angels have no other choice other than to be subservient to God. He's already got that. God wanted to push the envelope further and create a space where human beings, you and I, let's just be real, you and I, have a thousand things that we could do or we could choose to connect with God and do what God wants. Choice is ours. When we choose that, now it's significant. Angels have no choice. There's no free choice, therefore no significance in their, in their actions. I mean, it's still positive, but it doesn't have that depth and significance as does ours. Yeah? But God must have known, well, it doesn't seem like I did, because it seemed like he was surprised. That's why he had Noah. I mean, he, why didn't he know that a lot of people wouldn't make the right choice, and that's what happened with Noah's Ark, and then in the Exodus, those that did not make the right choice weren't allowed to leave Egypt. So why did he know that that he, most people don't would be making a lot of people wouldn't be making the right choice? And what happens in our day to the people that don't? Make the right choice? So Donna, aka Dina, <laughs> is asking a good question, which is: It seems like when you read the biblical narratives, that God sometimes seems surprised by human beings not choosing a relationship with God. So I, my humble opinion is God is not surprised. God knew it's going to happen. It's sometimes written in the narrative like, oh, God's like, huh, what's going on? God is not surprised. God is not a, is not a human being who's learning things as they happen. right? God is the source. Our, our conception of God, in order for, the, for any of this to work, has to be completely different than our conception of a human being. It can't be like a bigger, stronger, smarter human being. It has to be complete, on a completely different level. If we're thinking of God as just, you know, a little bit, just maybe a bit of a, you know, on top of a mountain looking down as opposed to in the valley, that's just a misunderstanding of God, or at least not the Jewish understanding of God. God is the source. God is driving everything, making it, empowering everything, knowing everything. God is not limited by the matrix time and space, right? God is not finding out things in real time, God certainly knows, knew, whatever you want to say, everything that's ha ever happened and will, will ever happen. So God is not taken by surprise, like, huh, I had no idea this was going to happen. I guess it's a flood. Again, when you read the story in the Bible, in the Torah, that it could give off that impression, but that's not, that's not all what's going on. What's happening? What's happening is, this is all part of the plan. We, discussed, we had a course called Secrets of the Bible. I'll reference that because we 
went in depth in the story of Adam and Eve, in depth in the story of Noah's Ark, how all of this was by, by divine design and all of this was intentional. There's a 1.0, a 2.0. There needs to be a pre-flood reality, a post-flood reality. So I'll reference, we don't have time to get into that story now and those stories now, but the core idea is that everything was by divine design. Everything was known and even by design and that doesn't take away from, uh, it's, it's, God was not surprised with these things. Why God creates a world in which corruption is possible and perhaps even probable, that gets back to the central theme of today. Central theme is that God wanted to create a world, create a space, this was the vision, to create a space, and God implemented this vision in a very, very uh, uh, strong way. God wanted a realm, God wanted a reality in which you have a lack of obvious awareness, a lack of obvious clarity about the source, and what's required is a choosing, a, a, a continuous choosing of God over the other options. So that's the reality that God created. So the fact that this world is a struggle, this world is a challenge, life is challenging, the fact that you know, to, to have a real relationship with God is difficult, all part of the plan, all part of the design. Does that make it easier? No, but it contextualizes it. It, it at least allows us to understand what's going on. So if a person, you know... Um, God forbid, a person needs surgery, right? So understanding why they need surgery and how the surgery is going to help and everything, does that make the, the physical pain of the surgery less? No. Does that make the recovery faster? I don't know if it makes it faster, but at least it contextualizes what it's about. It's painful, but I understand why it's necessary and what the purpose is and whatever. So is, is our knowledge of the fact that God intended this so that we should choose him, does it make the, the difficulty, the challenge of day-to-day -day life easier? I don't know if it makes it easier, but at least it explains what it is that we're doing here and why it is that life is so difficult. Why is it that all of this is so difficult? And so what we have here, and this is where I want to, all of that kind of, I think we said last week, I really want to advance it by speaking not of what's going on outside us, the darkness outside, but the darkness within, and then get into the inner battle, and then we're going to advance inside. So there are multiple fronts of challenge in life. There is, on a very basic level, you look around at the world, and you don't see God. And somebody can say, of course I see God. I go out, I see the trees, and that's God. You, that's choosing to see God in the trees. You don't see God. No one sees Unless you're a prophet. No one sees God. You see stuff. Choosing to see God is, obviously that's what we're, I'm not knocking that. We're supposed to be doing. That's where we're going with this. But you don't start off seeing God. That's not a thing. You don't see God. You see people, trees, animals. This morning I went outside in my cart to pick up the bagels and I see a black cat running across the street. And you know what my thought was? I'm glad I'm not superstitious, right? Wasn't there a whole thing about a black cat crossing your path? It wasn't crossing my path. It was like crossing the street, down the, down the road, down the block. But nonetheless, it, the thought crossed my mind. So anyway, there are Jewish superstitions. You know this, right? Yeah. Off topic. Evil eye. Evil eye. What else? I've heard not walking under a ladder. I mean, not literally under a ladder. That would be very awkward anyway. But like, you know, under where a ladder is leaning. Babies, like putting all kinds of things. Babies, right? Breaking glass at the wedding, we do that, right? Yes, correct. Anyway, lots of traditions. So the point is like this. You go outside, or you're inside, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. 
You don't see God. You don't naturally see God. You see the world. You see the physical universe. So that one challenge is how to find God in this stuff. That's challenge number one, where it's not obvious. You kind of have to peel back layers of reality, peel back layers and say, wait, I, I can recognize that this is not just nature. Or, this is God. Or the big reveal which is like lesson three of the Kabbalah the Matrix class that we had, the big reveal is, oh, nature is God. There's no difference between nature. God is not only manifest in nature, but the laws of, who made the laws of nature? Who made the tzimtzum, the constriction? Who made time and space? That's also God. So God is no less in the restriction than in the infinite. That's like, that's like the, 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 the biggest level. But getting back to our point, there's the challenge outside to see God, the external challenges, and then you have the internal challenges. Because the soul, you see, I was thinking about this this morning. Imagine you send a special agent on a mission behind enemy lines. Whatever the mission is, they know why they're there. They have the training. They go behind enemy lines, and they have to, let's say, find a... Let's give a scenario. Let's say... Somebody, one of your citizens, God forbid, is captured, prisoner in a foreign country, hostile country. So your country sends a special agent or a team, whatever it is, but let's just say one person, behind enemy lines to find and extract. Is that, a, is that a, sounds exciting enough? To extract the person who was taken captive by the, the hostile entity, by the hostile, the foreign nation, by the hostile country. All right. So you're, let's say you're the special agent. You have training, you have the equipment that you need, you have communication with headquarters, you know exactly why you're there, so what's the challenge? So what's the challenge? The challenge is actually navigating that foreign environment, finding who it is that you need to find, getting them out of there. That's a halbatsara. You know what halbatsara means in Yiddish? It's a half a problem. Why is it a half a problem? Because it's not a whole problem. It's only half a problem. Because you know who you are, you know why you're there, you have your training, you have your communication, you, everything else is said. The only problem is, <laughs> all those guys with guns. No, all the, the only problem is the, the enemy getting that person out and rescuing them. Like Entebbe. Remember Entebbe? Right? Yeah. Yeah, Israel sends special agents, huh? On Air France. Air France, yeah. <laughs> hey, Sandrine. Listen, I'm, let, it's, it's all good. So, yeah, Entebbe. Secret uh, um, special forces go in and they, they high, plane is hijacked. They go in and they extract success. So they knew why they were there. The special, the, the, the Israeli commandos, they know why they're there. They have the training. Everything is clear. You know what the problem with us is? It's a whole tsar, not a halbut tsar. It's, it's a whole problem. Why is it a whole problem? Because we don't even know why we're here. I, I mean, in Kabbalah and Coffee, we have clarity. I get it. That's why we're here. But otherwise, we don't even know that we're special agents. We don't even know why we're here. In other words, imagine someone's in another country and they have to find out that they are on a mission to extract somebody who's been... They don't even know it. You with me on what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? That's the tsar. That's where it becomes really complicated. It's... I'm going to mix a little dayenu in here. Yeah, like the, the seder. Dai, dayenu. Dayenu means that would be enough, right? If the challenge of life, this life that you and I are living, if the challenge of life was seeing the light stuck, trapped in dark spaces, 
having the clarity of vision and being able and, and, and being challenged to go behind enemy lines and extract the sparks of divinity and pull them out and, and, and release them above, that would be Dayenu, that would be a life's mission. It's compounded by the fact that half the time we don't even know where the light is, that we are special agents, that we do have the strength, that half the time we don't even, we don't even either know that we have a job or even frankly want to do the job to begin with. Because you know why? Hashtag distractions. Yeah? Yeah, conflicting. We think they're jobs, right? We think they're jobs. It's like, oh, oh, whoa, one second. I can't, I can't do that. I got to, um, I have this very pressing, um, trying to think of something silly. Uh, TikTok video I need to film. I'm not knocking TikTok. TikTok could be holy also, I'm sure. But I got this really important thing that I need to do. Like, I don't have time to, to do a mitzvah, right? To release the light, to release the sparks. I have, um, I gotta do like multiple takes, getting my choreography right. Like I gotta get this right. Chabad what do you? Org is posting a TikTok on Monday. Chabad org is going TikTok. Oh, no, honestly, no, honestly, no, why not? Aesthetic dance. Listen, look. I, every me, every medium. This is. I, I, I hesitate to give, to give any example. This was at least an example I thought people would, would kind of smile at. But like every, anything could be used for the good and anything could be employed in this mission called life, this, the spiritual mission of life. But my point is very simple. I don't want to distract myself from my point. The point is very simple. If we had, let me, let me use the same language I used before. If the only challenge of life was the external stuff, that would be a full-time job. The problem is compounded by the fact that there's the internal stuff as well. And what do I mean by the internal stuff? You're dealing with a body and an animal soul that are not on board with the mission altogether. They don't want anything to do with this mission. The body says, uh, yeah, oh, you're light. You're th the thing you have to figure out. Yeah. How about tomorrow? Because I got all this stuff lined up for today. <laughs> right? I got a full day. Right? We got the pregame show. We got, we got the Steelers, Ravens at one. Like, we got, I mean, that's actually legit. Um, as a Steelers fan, there's a very slim, oh, yeah, UGA tomorrow night. Like, who has time for how to think like a Hasidic master? Starting tomorrow night. Or RCS, also tomorrow night. Multitasking, right? Who says, who said, like, who has time for this stuff, right? Baba Shah that I have, like, all these other things. Baba Shah means that to say, when, when at that time I have other stuff going. It's like the joke that only works, that at least originated back many decades ago. But the congregant who goes to the rabbi, everyone knows this joke, right? And says, Rabbi, the World Series, Game 7 of the World Series is Kol Nidre. I have a conflict. What should I do? The rabbi says, what? You, you never heard of a VCR? Remember VCR? <laughs> this is the rabbi telling him, you ever heard of a VCR? This is us looking back and saying, VCR? I think I remember that. What is that? Is that used in medical equipment? <laughs> VCR? Is that like a, a test? No, it's VCR. VCR, what's a VCR? So the rabbi says, you ever heard of VCR? And the man says, ah, you're right. I never knew you could record services. By the way, all of this, all of this, right, the joke is actually all of this has actually come to fruition. In 2022, that sounds weird to say at least, right? Sure, you got everything, you got everything in every type of medium. 
services? Catch it on everywhere. You can catch live and replays and, and everything. And there's no, listen, there's a blessing of technology. But here's my point, just so, so not, again, just uh, so I don't even distract myself, just to have clarity. There's, God creates a space and hides himself and task, tasks us with finding the holiness within the mundane. That would be a full-time job, but it's harder. It's even compounded by the fact that we are, conf we are conflicted. It's not just that, it's not that we are light beings, soulful beings, spiritual beings who, are, who know ex have clarity and know exactly what we're meant to do, and now we have to battle the darkness to release the light. It's like Super Mario Brothers. Ba-da-bam, ba-da-bam, bam. -bam, -bam. Little 80s reference. They used to have a Talk Game Boy. Pac-Man. Is it Pac-Man? Right, Super Mario. There was like the princess who was captured. I think that was the backstory, right? Do -do 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 -do. I always love those levels where you go down. Do -do 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 -do. Anyway, classic stuff. I was more of a Tetris guy, though. I was telling my wife the other day that I was so good at Tetris. That's just like, we should all brag about such things. Like, I was so good at Tetris. I was convinced as a kid that, like, if there was a tournament, like, I for sure would be, like, I used to, and, she, like, she's, like, rolling her eyes. She's, like, sure, you were like, and I'm, like, no, really. Anyway, huh? What's Wordle? It's a new word game, and yeah. I can't Oh, figure interesting. It out. It's, it's, oh, it's like, it's like. Um, it's this one word. Is, I don't know. Google it. <laughs> it's a game, like a it's digital a game. game yes. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right, we'll have to check it out. Yeah. My first company, they had a Galaga machine, and I used to live in Sandy Springs, so I would wait out the traffic and play Galaga, and I got really, really nice. <laughs> Nice. I was also thinking, like, if I picked up Tetris, if I, like, I don't know, found the Game Boy or something, or I'm sure there's emulators, if, like, you know, get back to that. I wonder if it's like riding a bike or not. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> anyway, so back to the story. If you had, oh, oh, back to Super Mario Brothers. Like, you know you're Mario, right? You're, yeah, you, and you're, you're moving, you know, it's very limited, you're, <laughs> your realm of existence. You're moving forward. You can jump up. You can duck down, right? You can get those flowers and get, like, get a little bit bigger for a little bit until you get smaller again, whatever it is. Like, but you know your purpose. You know your mission. Now, are you always successful? No, because it, the, the challenge itself is challenging. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's very challenging to get to that stage and rescue the princess who was taken captive by whoever was Bowser. the... Bowser? Bowser, was it a dinosaur or something? Oh, the dragon? Di it's dinosaur it's dragon? Like dinosaur dragon, turtle looking thing. Right, turtle, dinosaur dragon, whatever. Bowser. Yeah, okay, good. And now I'm thinking of like Mario Kart. Whatever, so many things. Back to our story. It's hard enough when you, when you have clarity to get it right, let alone when you don't know you're Mario. You don't even know about a princess. You don't know, and you're like, why am I even going there? I want to go here. I don't want to go further. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with all that stuff. Who says? Let me just do my thing and live my life, and that's it. And it's not even be. So if you if you have clarity in who you are and what you're doing, again, that's already challenging. The problem is we got the internal battle. So let's talk about that. These are things that I that I, I know that many of you are familiar with, but I'm going to just go through them again just so that we're all on the same page and everyone has the same kind of um, understanding, so we're operating with the same um, same knowledge base. Judaism tells us 
Um, Kabbalah expounds upon this and explains it in more detail that every single one of us has two souls. And a soul, you know, like when you use the word God, soul also carries some impressions and baggage and whatever it is, for better or for worse. The way I would put it for this conversation is an operating system. So imagine you have hard, this hard, hardware and software. Imagine you have a computer, right? The computer has a processor. It has a hard drive, internal hard drive. It, it has, it has the, the, the hardware. The question is, so what, what runs on the hardware? You could have a box with, with chips inside, but, but that's it. What does it do? What does it run? When you, when you press the power button, what happens? So you, you have, have to have like a, an operating system, a software to, that, that, that runs on your machine. Hardware and software. Human beings also have hardware and software, so to speak. The hardware is the body, the physical being. What's the software? What runs? What, what operates? What runs on the body, so to speak, or in the body? So here's, the, here's what Kabbalah and tell us. We actually have two different operating systems that run in parallel, right? Mac OS and Windows. Joking. What we have, Linux, what we have is three. No, what we have really, Ubuntu, is that, Ubuntu, yeah, is that, that's Linux, right? Yeah. So what we have here are two operating systems. There's what, we, and we call these souls. There's the divine operating system called the godly soul. And then there is... The, the higher operating system called the divine soul and the lower operating system that we typically call the animal soul. It's also called the natural soul. It has different names, but let's just, for this purpose, let's call it the animal soul. What's the difference? The, animal, the, the godly soul knows who it is, knows why it's here, knows what the job is, and is ready to jump into the challenge and get it done. In other words, it knows that it's sent on a mission behind enemy lines to rescue to, 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 to tap into the light and to reconnect it with the source. It, know, it has all that clarity, and it all, all, all it wants to do is that purpose. And the animal soul is here for the fun. The animal soul is like, oh, hey, this looks fun. Let's, let's, uh, let's hang out and, and, and have a party. The animal soul wants to feed itself. Now, it's not, that's not bad, but it's not what the godly soul knows that it's here to do. The problem is that both of these are souls slash operating systems that are running on the same hardware. It's not like they each have their own body. It's not like you have one computer that's running this and another computer that's running that. You have one computer that's running both operating systems at the same time, which absolutely creates havoc inside. Or what we would call tension. There's a tension, a constant tension within the human condition where we're being pulled in two different directions. Part of us is pulling toward higher things, higher activities, noble activities, selfless activities, divine activities. In other words, very simply, part of us says, I want to volunteer, I want to do a mitzvah, I want to you know, give, I want to do, I want to pray, I want to connect, I want to meditate. That's part of us. Part of us has that yearning. And part of us is, forget about that other person. I'll take care of myself. I want to eat. Drink and be merry. Again, not literally, but I mean, just I want to take care of me. That's the natural tension of life. So again, part of us yearns, or not even yearns, part of us is drawn toward something higher. And part of us is drawn toward, it's not even part. 
us, we are drawn higher and we are drawn lower. Unless we think we've gone mad, Kabbalah teaches us, Chassidus explains that no, we haven't gone mad. We have two operating systems. In other words, welcome to the human condition. This is perfectly normal, perfectly natural. Now that doesn't make it any easier to navigate, but at least it, again, contextualizes what's going on inside. That we are being pulled in two different directions. We do have two different... So the fact that we can do a mitzvah one minute and do something profoundly selfish the next minute doesn't mean that the mitzvah wasn't valuable or doesn't mean that we are a fraud. What it means is that we are complicated. Now, that's not an excuse that we should do whatever we want and say, my animal soul made me do it. That's not an excuse. We have to take responsibility and make the right choices. At the same time, we also know that we're not going to be perfect and it's going to be a battle. Life is going to be a battle. When the good things that we do are not an imposter, you know, we shouldn't have imposter syndrome. Who am I to do that mitzvah? I know what I'm really like inside. No, 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 no. I also know who you're really like inside. And you really are deserving of doing that mitzvah. You really are as noble as you can possibly be. That is not an imposter. That is the, the true you. And you know what? The other side is also the true you. But life is managing this conflict. It's at, every, it's at any moment. Think about... Um, Think about like a train. I don't know if I like the train. Maybe water, a liquid, you know, flowing. You have two different sources of water and they're kind of merging or converging and then you have only one outlet and the question is, okay, so which flow are you going to let... I'm, I'm literally describing, I think, a faucet in the sink, but whatever. And I, I know you can put on both and you have warm water now, but let's say it could only be either or. At any moment, you're navigating, okay, am I going to let this water source through or that water source through? That's what it is. And the way it's described hammered down in Kabbalah and Chassidus and really Tanya is the is this bottom line you only have at any at, at any given moment you only have one thought in your mind now it doesn't mean we can't have one rapid fire one after the other that's true and we can go in all sorts of ways but at any given fragment of a moment there's one thought that we're thinking and the question is so is that is that being you know, machshava, thought, powered by godly soul, higher self, or powered by animal soul, lower self? That's the question. We choose. We're in control. Speech, we're saying something. What are we saying? Powered by godly soul or animal soul? We choose. Action, what are we doing? Powered by godly soul or animal soul? We make that choice. So at any moment, not any moment, at every moment, and he sounds too theoretical, at every moment, there's a choice. Now, sometimes we're not aware of the choice, but there is a choice because there are two forces that are 24-7, 365 or 354, um, constantly operating within us internally. It's kind of like both operating systems are operative somehow, but the actual screen, my monitor, my screen is only showing me one image. Am I looking at the... I don't know if Windows still has this. It's been a while. Since, I mean, it's been a little bit since I've used Windows. Where I'm seeing like the, the lush meadow of Windows, or am I seeing, what is Mac? I'm literally on a Mac right now. What does it have? Oh, I don't even know what that is. Some purple swirl <laughs> of, of Mac. Like, what am I looking at right? What's on my screen right now? Is it Windows or Mac? Or Linux? I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't know what that, what that looks like. But whatever. Right? I, just, I just think of code. I don't know why. But like this, this. 
So both are operating under the hood. So they're, you know, duking it out under the hood. The question is, above the hood, so to speak, in, in, in real time, what's coming out? This is how Tanya explains the challenge, the internal challenge of life. That at every single moment, there is a battle inside between the higher and lower selves, the godly and animal souls. And they're both, and he used this example, he used the example of wrestlers that are wrestling for domination. And sometimes this one's going to win, and sometimes that's going to win. And whoever wins, what do you win? You get to be expressed at that moment. And so the thought is a higher or lower thought that words are either higher, noble healing words. I think words are easier to give a full-out example. Am I going to say something that builds up the other person? Or am I going to say something that tears them down? At this moment, I could say something helpful or hurtful, divine or lower, mundane. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Am I going to do something to build, to make the world a better place right now or something that just doesn't do that at all. That's my choice. Every moment I have that choice and I have these two forces inside that want to express themselves. So all of this to say that the battle, the landscape is not, the landscape of the battle does not consist of solely an external space that I need to conquer, but it begins in the internal space. And let me just clarify that. When I said before, imagine that there's someone from your country that's taken captive behind enemy lines, etc., and you need to go in, but at least you know why you're there and you have clarity of purpose, but the challenge, but life is harder because we don't even know why we're there. So what I'm really trying to say is that we're moving the battle, the enemy lines from outside to inside because the goal is to find the light inside amidst all of the other stuff. And I hope that makes sense what I'm saying right now. Can I ask a question? Yeah, Michael, yeah, jump in. It does sound so, exhausting. So, so maybe you can help me understand, because it seems that there's an inconsistency here. You talk about a battle and a war. Yeah. Um, and and, I, and I, I'm now thinking that maybe war is not the right word. Maybe it's a series of battles which makes a war. But then you also talk about choice. When I think of a battle, I think of forces fighting each other, and one wins. Right. For whatever reason. Right. They're stronger, they have better strategy, whatever. That's not a choice. Okay, it seems to see inconsistent with calling it a battle and calling it a choice. Is it my choice, or are there forces within me fighting and one wins? Good. What you're asking, if I were to, to, to say your question in other terms, when you have two combatants that are fighting, so one of them wins. So, and then you could say, well, then the better, the stronger one won in that moment. Which means that in life, we would say that the animal soul and the godly soul are duking it out inside, and whoever wins, wins. But don't blame me. It's either my animal soul or my godly soul, and whatever happens, happens, and that's it. I'm off the hook. Like, I'm just a passive stander by. That's not even a word. I'm just passively standing by while they duke it out, and, you know, whatever, whatever comes to my mind is whatever comes to my mind. Which is why Kabbalah introduces a third soul. I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you asked the question, a good question, I guess we'll, we'll mention the third soul. The third soul is called the intellectual soul. I'll give you the Hebrew terms. There's nefesh alakis, godly soul, nefesh Bahamas, animal soul, and nefesh hasichlis, like seichel. That's the intellectual soul. The intellectual soul is the judge between the godly soul 
and the animal soul, which means that part of it is based on the strength and the strategy of the, the respective souls, but a lot of it has to do with them presenting their case, if you will, and then us choosing which one will be stronger or which one makes a better argument in any given moment. That's where choice comes in. We choose which operating system, like in the example of the, the water sources, that's where we come in and who's the we. In other words, are we a godly soul? Yes. Are we an animal soul? Yes. But we're also an intellectual soul. And that is the seat of consciousness where we are choosing consciously what, which force to allow. Now, that's a product of the, each one making their case, making their argument, and pulling strongly. So the godly soul says, let's do this. The animal soul says, let's do that. Ultimately, we are choosing. So when I say that they're wrestling, they are wrestling. But at the end of the day, the match is going to be called by the referee. And we are the referee. It's like boxing, right? It's like wrestling. I mean, it's not like professional wrestling because that's like <laughs> scripted, but whatever. Shh. Oh, sorry for spoiler alert. I know. <laughs> I know. In the 80s, I didn't know that either. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> at some point I realized, wait a no, second, the storylines. Huh? Scripted by God. Our, our script is known by God, but we still have free choice. God knows the end, but we're, we're still shooting. We don't know that. We don't know the end. We're still making the choice. Um, Look, it comes down to this. At the end of the day, we are the ref that slides on the mat. Maybe this is only wrestling. One, two, three. Like, we're calling it who's going to win at that moment. Like, we call that, we call the decision. Or in boxing, I think they, they vote on the rounds, right? They give you score per round or something, something like that. Who wins round one, two. Anyway, without getting too complicated, the point is that there is, there is, a, there is a me. Michael, to your question. There is a me who ultimately allows one or the other to pass through into thought, speech, and action. And this is why Kabbalah teaches us that we have control over our thoughts, even though we might think that our thoughts are way beyond our control, our thoughts are just, you know, whatever comes to us comes to us, and that's it. No, the truth is we have control. We could. We don't always choose it. We could have control over our thoughts to say, no, I, I know this is coming from my lower self. I choose a higher thought, and I choose to swap that out, which is why thought, speech, and action in Kabbalah are called garments, levushim, garments of the soul. Just like garments can be exchanged, taken off, put on, you can change your clothes from this to that outfit, the same thing is true with our thought, speech, and action. We can choose to change our garments, including our thought, from one to the other. So essentially what, we, what we've been describing is that it's not just that we have a mission to accomplish in the world that's difficult. We know the mission, we're excited about the mission, but it's going to be, you know, we're going to meet challenges along the way, that would be enough, dayenu. But it's worse, because the first challenge is within us. Do we even want to choose to, to engage in that mission today? Or are we just going to opt out altogether in this moment and say, what mission? I'm just going just gonna to eat a steak now. Like, we just completely like, tune out and do our own thing. That's where the first challenge comes in, inside. So what God does to the soul is something very, I don't know what the word is. I'm not going to say cruel because that's like a judgment, but it's, ve it's, it's very challenging. The soul, with, who she knows her purpose, she knows who she is, she knows why she's here, is sent into this cold, dark world 
and then moreover ascent into a body, an animal soul, in which it first has to get, you know what it's like? I was going to say buy-in. Let me just finish that sentence. It first has to get buy-in even before it does its mission. It's kind of like you send a team into enemy territory and you have one person, one member of the team that's like all gung-ho and you have the other four members of the team or maybe, let's make it easier, two, two people. One wants to do it, the other one doesn't want to do it and now the one who does want to do it, 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 you need both to do it, has to convince the other one, hey, let's do this job. Turns out, that the first space of making a home for God is inside. We always talk about making a home for God in the world, making the world a home for God. You know where that first, you know, what do they say? It begins at home, right? It begins at home. When I say home, I mean us. It means making ourselves a mensch, making ourselves a home for God. A, you know, temple, vessel, home, whatever, you want, whatever phrase you want to use. It's about making ourselves, the physical body and the animal soul, making us hospitable, right? Making ourselves compatible and, and friendly toward the divine. So that when, when we engage, when we embrace the mission, engage in the mission, we've already accomplished something. We're already on board. It's a constant battle, but that's already a space. What we're going to do here, and we're going to jump in, let me pull it up here um, online. What we're going to do today is get into the third chapter of Discourse number 15. We actually started it last time. But we are going to get into um, the war. And maybe it's battle. Maybe battle is, uh, is, is more accurate. Either way, war, battle. Um, I'm going to use those interchangeably, I guess. Um, we're going to get into the internal struggle and how fraught with difficulty that internal struggle is. But understand this, that all of this is by design. And this is circling back all the way to the beginning and what I said last week as well. None of this is by accident. None of this is by like, oh, whoops. Oh, darn, this happened. Oh, shucks, it's terrible. No, this is all by, I mean, maybe, but it's all by design. God intentionally created. This is, the, the original vision was exactly this. The original vision was that there should be a realm in which godliness is not immediately visible, that we should find God, and that we should have to find God utilizing a body and animal soul that totally are not on board with this whole operation altogether. All of this is by, it was by divine design. All of this is per the original intention. The original kavana, the original vision is exactly this. So let's read this inside. Um, I'm going to share my screen. We're on, if you have a copy or the book, we're on page 224. Um, this is the last paragraph. Give me a second. Let's get this up. Last paragraph on 224. Okay. Where it says war on evil. Let me make this a little bit bigger. Okay. The service of purifying and clarifying the body and animal soul. Now, let me just, let's just focus on, on that phrase, even though we're in the middle of a sentence. He calls it the service. Service in Hebrew here is avodah. Avodah means the work. It's not, service is like, I don't even know what service means. Service sounds like I've, I volunteered for an hour. I, I, service here is avodah. Avodah means work. Avodah means hard work. In fact, avodah, 
the Kabbalists always connect the word avodah, avodah, service, work, to the idea of, of avodos orin, or orot, which means working skins. The, um, uh, what, is, what do you call it, a tannery? Tannery, is that the right word? When you take leather, right, and, and, and work it into, you take an animal skin and make it into, I'm not, weighing in on whether that should be done or should not be done. But just saying the, the process of doing that is called avoda. It's called working, working the leather. And the mystics say that it's, the, there, it's not just a, a phrase that, oh, that's hard work and this is hard work in internal service. It's really the same thing. You're taking something raw. You're taking something unformed and making it into something usable and pliable. That's the work that we're supposed to be doing inside, taking uh, a raw body, so to speak, an animal soul, and making it into a mensch. That's, that's, the, that's the work of life. The work of life is to take something raw and animalistic by nature, selfish and narcissistic by nature, that's the body, animal, soul, and to make it, to transform it into a mensch. And that's what he's saying right here, that first line. The service, avodah, the transformational service of purifying and clarifying. Purifying and clarifying, again, is also intentional. Maybe I would use different terms here if I were translating this, but purifying and clarifying means refining. It really means refining, which means to make it, you're not, clarifying doesn't mean like, oh, now I understand the body. That's not what it means. It means, it means refining. You know what refining means? Refining means, what do you, when, when you say somebody, oh, that's a refined human being, what does it mean they're refined? It means that they're not running after lowly things. They're not, they're not jumping into crude conversations and crude, they're not, they're not there, they're not you know, grappling in, 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 in lowly things, they're refined, they're refined. Now, by the way, just because a person is refined doesn't mean that they're a mensch. It could be a refined, right? I mean, I don't want to, I hate going to the furthest extreme. But we know for a fact, and the Rebbe spoke about this often, you had Nazis who by day killed, exterminated, murdered Jews. And at night they had their refined dinner parties and they drank their, their, their fine drinks and with their fine music and and smoke their cigars. They had, you know, they were living the refined life. Meanwhile, they're um, committing barbaric and horrific acts. So, it, it's it, a re refinement is not is not is not. It's it's an ongoing process. And anyway, let's get back inside. The service of purifying and clarifying the body and animal soul. He says this job of not the external battle, the internal battle within oneself making oneself a mensch. Let's just uh, summarize it like that. That itself, he says, in general, is like warfare. It's like a war. It's a battle. It's a constant, constant struggle. And he says, man, and again, this is not gender specific, the human being must realize that the animal soul and Yetzirah, I haven't spoken about that today, Yetzirah is not just the animal soul, Yetzirah is the actual drive inside toward negativity and, and, ne and bad behavior. The animal soul, just to distinguish the two, animal soul is about self, not evil, but self. Yetzirah, evil inclination, is not just about self, it's about negative stuff. It's not like, 
I don't want to volunteer today, I want to take care of myself. That already is a little bit more subtle. Yetzirah is like, we can all use our imagination. Yetzirah is already, let's do something illegal, so to speak. So these two, the animal soul and the Yetzirah, which I don't know that they're two separate things. I mean, they manifest in subtly different ways, but they may generally be the same force, right? The lower self. They, a person must realize that they are his or her worst Worse or worst? Worse enemies? Should be worse, right? Whatever. There's worse or worst enemies whose aim is his spiritual death. Listen to this. This very, very strong language. It's going to get, it's only going to get stronger or, or on this level. He, he's, he tries to break it down in very, in very stark terms. He says, a person should feel that my body, my, my animal soul, my Sahara are gunning for me, trying to take me down. Straight up, they want my spiritual suffocation. They want me, they want to snuff out my soul, my godly soul. They want to hold me back from fulfilling my purpose. They want to bring me down into a negative place. That is the way we should ought to think about it. Let's continue. They approach him. They approach the person. Yeah. Right, so that's what I said before. The, I think the animal soul in Yetzirah has different names and different permutations, but it's the same general force. The general force is low. Either low neutral or low negative, but it's still kind of, it's still, let's put it this way. The godly soul is anti-gravity. Not that God is upward, right? But it's, it's kind of like pushing us higher, metaphorically not. And the lower self is the gravitational pull. Either it's going to pull us into something, you know, neutral-ish or something worse. The truth is, the way the paragraph continues, he's going to say what happens in life is that first we get pulled into neutral stuff, but, but that's self-serving. But the more that happens, we eventually come into the negative stuff. The way the negative comes about, the ishtalshalus, the, the evolution of negativity is, doesn't happen day one. I mean, think about red lines in our lives, right? When, when we were younger or whatever it is, like at, cer- at a certain point in time, we might have said, oh, I would never do this. And you would have never done that. So what happened? How is it ever that a person has a line and then crosses the line? What happens? It happens one step at a time. That's what happens. What happened was, a person didn't just one day say, go from zero to over the line. That never happens. person got progressively closer and closer to that line until all it took was one little step and I was over the line. No one, are you, does that make sense? Boiling, boiling a frog slowly. Boiling a frog slowly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it never happens. No one ever, I mean, I can't say no one ever. I, how do I know? But it, it, I would say it rarely happens that somebody jumps from zero to, you know, 100. If 100 is where the line is, that rarely happens. What happened was you went slowly. Not you. One went slowly because they told themselves well, that's not the line. One is not the line. Ten is not the line. Twenty, it's not zero, but it's not the line. Fifty, it's still not the line. 70, 80, 90, it's not the line. 99, it's not the line. But once you're at 99, you're done. Because you can't, at that point, you can't stop. You've already told yourself. The problem is, as we've said earlier in this, in this book, 
who drew the line at 100? That was also arbitrary. That was ourselves making ourselves feel better about the 99 not being a line. Also, I mean, right? I mean, we like, we drew a line and said, oh, at least it's not there. And then what we'll do is just draw another line after 100. And we'll tell ourselves, or we'll tell ourselves at any point in time, I could step back over the line. It's not so bad. This is, the, we, play, we play the games. We just mess ourselves up. Listen, one second. If we all weren't human, maybe it would be an uncomfortable conversation. I would hope that we're all honest with ourselves, and we all know this, and we've all experienced this, and that's it. Like, we're all real human beings, and we can have, like, real conversations. Look, this is life. This is what he's saying here. This is, there's no shame in this. It's life. Now, once knowledge is power, and so we should, the goal here is to, honestly, I mean, as we read this, the goal is going to be very simple. The goal is going to be very clear. The goal is to recognize this and to put up our defenses. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means at least forewarned is forearmed. At least we know what we're in for. All right, that's what he's saying. So man, and that's exactly what he said. Literally what he says. Man must realize that the animal soul and HR are his worst enemies, whose aim is his spiritual death. Let's continue. They approach him with cunningness, enticing him with smooth tongues. That's literally what I'm saying. They trap him with great cleverness to drive him from the path of true life, of fulfilling 226, of fulfilling Torah mitzvot, by making use of a number of permissible acts of self-indulgence. Exactly what I was saying. Now, I'm not taking credit for it. I'm literally, I was telling you what it says here. But this is what he's saying. What he's saying here is that their job, and this is not because they're bad, but literally this is their job from on high. Their job is to be the foil for the godly soul. Their job is to be the counterforce to the higher self. Why? Because that was God's vision. Remember, going back to last week, God had a vision, and here's where it's implemented. And the vision includes an animal soul, and he ate a heart. That's part of the vision. It's not an anomaly. It's not a glitch. It's not a bug. It's not a virus. It's not a coding error. It's not like, oh, man, God, if he only had Zuckerberg, he would be able to, like, get the code out. You know, he was, like, I think, like a legendary coder back in the day, at least according to the movie. But back, back to our story. Like, the... Code is exactly the way it is, by intentionally. God is not seen in the world, and there's other forces inside, and they are programmed to pull us away from our higher purpose. And, and our job, our job is to push against. But we have to know what's happening. So they're, what the way they do it is by making use of a number of permissible acts of self-indulgence. Why? Because that's an easier sell. It's easier to say, let's just indulge. It's kosher. It's kosher. It's on every level. I don't mean kosher food. It's kosher. But it's, it's me. So it's like indulgent. It's like, it's kosher. Nothing wrong. There's no, no, no laws are being broken, right? In the United States of America, or Jewish law, or any, there's no, no laws are being broken, but what, what, what am I doing? It's, let me see the Hebrew here. Give, give you some Hebrew. Taiva. Yeah, self-indulgence. Pleasure-seeking. But it's kosher pleasure, but it's still pleasure-seeking. Then slowly, second line of 226, then slowly, they, animal soul and Yitzhahara, the tag team of doom, they divert him. From the acceptable to the barely acceptable, right? It progressed. It didn't stop there. So it was kosher. But now it's not 100% kosher. Now it's like, 
yeah, it's basically kosher, until he becomes accustomed to numerous desires. So now you've, what you've done is you move the person away, you know, even without getting into the desire part of it, you've now just moved the consciousness away from purpose-driven life to a passion-driven life. And at that point, it's just a different, different direction altogether. It's like your special agent in the other country who's more concerned about which restaurants to hit up because it's so exciting than actually rescuing. <laughs> and again, that, there's nothing wrong with the restaurants, right? right? But are you, why are you there? You're not there for the restaurants. You're there for the, you got, a, you got a brother or sister behind enemy lines. That would be a really funny movie. That would be a funny movie, right? Honestly, it's life. But I'm saying, yeah, that's right. It's like a fun, yeah, it's, it would be, right. It's a comedy, <laughs> right? It's, but I mean, I think we can all relate to this, right? We can all relate to this. And it's kind of like, you know, I said before, about the, about the line, the red lines that we cross over because we got so close and we, then we, you know, stepped over it and, oh, oh nothing, and, like, we're still okay because we built it up in our heads that if we did that, that would be really bad and then, like, okay, because we got so numb to it then it's not, doesn't feel so bad. But honestly, all of that is also a distraction because, like, that's, what, because 99 wasn't 100, it wasn't the line, that's what I should be doing anyway? That's still not why I'm here. I'm not saying anything different than what I just said before about the restaurants behind enemy lines. It's the same thing. It's like... Anyway, all right, let's, read, let's go inside. He, I'm not saying anything that he doesn't say here. I'm just trying to explain. Then slowly, I'm going to read the sentence again. I, I, honestly, you can probably tell, this, this text is amazing. Then slowly, it's so real. Then slowly they divert him from the acceptable to the barely acceptable until he becomes accustomed to numerous desires. His ability, fourth line, his ability to desire becomes so well developed and habitual. His ability to desire. What, whose ability to desire? Everyone has ability to desire. It doesn't mean ability to desire. His, let me see what it says in the Hebrew. Um, no, it's not ability. It's not ability. Umifatchim, and he opens. Margilim, and he accustoms himself as koya chamisave, his power of indulgence. It's not his ability. Ability. He exercises his muscle of self-serving desire so much. I'm going to pick it up by the word that. One, two, three, four, five. Middle of the line, fifth line. That he cannot restrain himself from looking... Look at this. Look at this. Look at the example that he gives. That he cannot restrain himself from looking casually or even closely where one must not. Look at that. It's... It's... He's so accustomed to indulgence that he can't stay in a space where he should stay in. And what happens, let's continue, the eye sees and the heart lusts and his spiritual strength becomes limp. In other words, not that the godly soul becomes kryptonited. I'm using that as a verb. It's not, no, but not that the actual soul becomes weak, but that, you know, when you, when you don't call upon that force, 
Atrophy. It atrophies on some level, even if it's strong. But if you're not listening to it, then you don't. You just you accustom yourself to not picking up that phone. You're not even. You're not taking the phone call. You're, you know, you're ending it. That he cannot resist the flood of physical desires until he falls, God forbid, slain by the eight Saharan animal soul. And you picture just the casualty of war on the battlefield. And I told you before, I think I mentioned this, it's going to be a very, he's going to use very dramatic words. And his point is to bring out how, many things, including how difficult life is. Not outside. It's not, if the only challenge was in, like I knew who I was, I knew my mission, I felt like spiritually empowered, and I still had a fine God out there, that would be, that would be a full-time job. Then I have to deal with myself. I don't even know who I am, right? We've got to deal with ourselves and our animal soul and our heart that pulls us in all sorts of directions. And now we're like, we're distracted most of the time. Not even thinking about what we're supposed to be doing because we're all distracted by all this other stuff. And he explains the way that the animal soul and Yetzirah work. And honestly, sounds like that's the tandem. The animal soul gets us hooked on indulgence until the evil inclination gets us to cross the lines. It's, it's the tact. It's, it's really the same thing. It's just different, different levels of just the progression. It's the evolution. What starts off as animal soul rolls into evil inclination territory. But it's really the same thing. It's just pulling us down. It's pulling us lower. So what do you do? Look at this next paragraph. Really powerful. Therefore, the process of purifying and clarifying, or the word that I use, which I prefer, the process of refining the body, making it a mensch, must be through, look what he says, aggressive combat with them. Aggressive combat. That's a strong line. Aggressive combat. Whenever the Yetzirah says yes, he must retort with a forceful no to himself. In other words, he says it's almost like we have to be, I, I'm going I'm to add a line in that he doesn't say. Step one is starting to become aware of where the voices are coming from which side. Because if we don't know where the voice is coming from, then we don't know who to say yes to, who to say no to. So step one would be identify the source of the voice and then having identified that whenever it says yes it's an automatic no and conversely it's the other way around which you'll say in a second whatever the Yetzirah refuses whatever the Yetzirah says no he must vigorously affirm and say yes to this opposition on principle is the way to inform send a message to the Yetzirah that he is a despised foe and will be fought. And it sounds kind of crazy. Like, who are you sending a message to? Yourself? And you know what the answer is? Yes. Because what you're telling yourself is, you are not, not yourself, but the lower self of self is that you're not going to be in control. You're not going to play around with me. I'm not, I'm not your... I'm not going to be victimized by your... Oh, I don't know why I keep on doing this. I'm like... Something in the wind. What's the, what's the Lushan? What do you say? Like, um, not blowing in the wind, but like, maybe blowing in the wind. Finger the wind? No, 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 not finger in the wind. I'm like, um, I don't know. I, it's some, I'm feeling something that I can't articulate. 
being toyed with by the Yetzirah and evil inclination, by the uh, animal soul and evil inclination. It's like... Oh, being a puppet on string. Yeah, puppet upon. It's like, it's, but that's, that's, what, that's, that's the alternative. Really, that's, honestly, that's the alternative. <laughs> if we don't take a forceful stance, that's actually what's happening. Think about it, right? I mean, think about it. It's like, it says, do this, all right. Do that, sure. Do that, sure. Until, like, until what? Until, until... So, the answer is no. The animal still says yes, no. Even if it's neutral, no. Chassidim <laughs> used to say not to eat when, like it's lunchtime, everyone eats at 12 or whatever it is. No. Just so that the animal soul shouldn't get comfortable. Legit. I remember the first time I encountered this. There's even a name for this, Escafia. It's holding oneself back. I remember I was in Morristown, New Jersey, in a yeshiva, in a summer program. I was 13. I remember somebody talking about this, for bringing about this concept. Like, it was a, one of the fast days. There's two fast days in the summer, 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, which is a very long fast day. And we were all, this was a, a, a program for eighth graders, like finishing eighth grade, so 13 and 14 year olds. So like, you know, you start fasting up our mitzvah, so this is like little, like kids, just in their first fast, you know. I think it was Tisha B'Av, maybe the other one, which is only a day fast as opposed to the 24 hour, 25 hour fast. I remember somebody saying, look, the tendency is your desire is gonna be right after the fast, run to the food. If you can wait 10 minutes, just, just to assert control, you're still going to eat. Still going to eat. And you know what? Eat the same, eat exactly as you would otherwise. But that 10 minutes is you exercising. Now, okay, with all, with all, with all transparency, obviously fasting for 24 hours is also exercising control. But that's in the books, right? That's what you were told to do. But the 10 minutes that you choose is you reigning in yourself. Honestly, there's a word for this in English, which we should be talking about. It's discipline. Straight up discipline. It's a self-discipline to say, but it's almost, he says, automatic. If you sense that it's coming from that lower place inside, just say no. And then figure out what it is. And then see if, you know, first answer is no. It's like, hey, I have a question. Can I know? What is it again? <laughs> right? It's like, I, like I'm, I'm open to you. Once I say no, once we establish the answer is no, then we can have a conversation. And then, like, if there's a way to flip it for the good and to utilize it, then we'll talk about it. But the first thing is, I'm in control. And if you say yes, then I'm, wait, no. If you say yes, I'll say no. Oh, and if you say no, that's a sign that I'm going to say yes. Right? Somebody says, hey, can you help out? And my first thought is, oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> then the answer is yes. Just got to go yes. Just, just to, 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 to have that inner, inner control. Anyway, I don't know if there are modern books that speak about, like, um, I know a lot of stuff in Kabbalah said this has a modern form of, you know, like a modern, uh, applic not application, but like, it's like, oh yeah, there's a book on that. I wonder if there's something about this, about discipline. And Anyway, but this is like, this is definitely a, a bit of, it's not harsh, but it's, it's, a, it's a more of a hardcore um, idea here. Let's continue a little bit more. Oh, this is big. Okay, this is, oh, we're going to end with this. Okay, th but this is huge. This is, this is actually mind-blowing. 
And by the way, I just noticed on my computer, we're talking about computers before, my software has told me that my hardware battery is low. You with me, hardware, software? My software knows that the physical battery has been depleted. It says low battery. So if the zoom ends, you know what happened. If the battery died, and that's it. We're going to go to the end. I'm not pulling out extension cords now. We're, we're going to go straight to the end. All right, here we go. Subtle details. This is, if you thought this so far was, uh, was, was powerful, get ready for the next level. Part of the strategy of battle in this war is to pay careful attention to details. Listen to this. The details of the battle are more important than the big guns. That's what he says. He's about to say that. The, the strategy, which is detailed strategy, is even more important than the big guns. Victory, look back inside, is not determined by numerical superiority and weaponry alone. It's not about who has the bigger guns and who has the larger army, but mainly by the use of intelligence to mislead the foe. Let me look inside. Yeah, yeah, that's what he says to mislead the foe. In other words, I'm going to say in general, this is going to be strategy. It's not just military might, it's military strategy. History has told us in physical war that you have armies, I mean, uh, Hanukkah, whatever, but even modern times, you have armies that are much smaller, that are much weaker, that can drive back as much stronger um, uh, um, enemy when they have a better strategy. Strategy is key. Often, back inside fourth line, a victory is attained by outwitting an enemy more than through larger forces and better arms. If you're able to outsmart your enemy, you can win whether or not they have bigger, larger army and, and stronger weapons. This applies in battles of the spirit too. Listen to this. He says there, 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 there's the guns and the strategy. This is true with the Yetzirah, we're talking about the animal soul. They have guns and they have strategy. The other side, now we're also supposed to have that, but I mean we, the good side. The, the negative side has that. Listen to this. Lusts and sins, that's the, the tanks and, and planes. That's the weapons and strength of the Yetzirah. But, listen to this, the nonsensical excuses that man, that the human used to justify him or herself, they are the clever deceptive tactics of the Yetzirah and animal soul to capture, God forbid, even those who are yielding to lust and sins. So, it comes with the big guns or do the sin, you know, run after that distraction. But the subtle strategy, the subtle stuff, which could even be more uh, devastating, you know what the subtle stuff is? It's the clever deceptive tactics. No, sorry, no, no. It's the nonsensical excuses that man used to justify himself. It's the stuff saying it's not so bad. And if you understand your enemy's excuses, that's the strategy, right? Right. Understanding how they operate, mm -hmm. it's, there's a phrase that King David writes in Psalms, mm From my enemies, I have become wise. It's learning from, mm -hmm. what, I'm just saying what you said. It's learning from your enemy. If you know that their strategy is the is the is the the mind bending excuses and justifications? Well, it's not so bad because this, that, or the other. That's even worse sometimes than just jumping in and getting in and out of a sin because this is already it's already in your head. You already got this whole thing worked out. You got this 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 um, um what what am I looking for? You have a a script, not a script. You have a. A whole rational 
Blueprint. Blueprint. A narrative. A narrative. Yeah. Yes. You have a narrative built out as to why this is right or why this is justified, whatever it is. So, and you tell yourself, I didn't do anything wrong. It's not so bad. You got a narrative. Narrative, he says, is worse sometimes than the actual sin. I mean, think about it in, in personal relationships, right? Somebody did something that's hurtful. So th that's one level. And then you confront them and then they spin a narrative. And now it's like, that was even worse. Sometimes. Right? Some, I'm not saying always. But sometimes it's like, you, you can't even own up to it. You can't even take responsibility for it. You have this excuse of a narrative of why. That seems like it's even worse. I don't know if it is worse, but it's certainly more trapping for the person because they can't get, get, even get out of. If they just got in, maybe they can get out. But once, you're, once you have the narrative, now you're actually stuck in that space. For this reason, so let's, we're going to finish off till chapter, the next chapter, which is one more paragraph. For this reason, it is possible that a perfect tzaddik, listen to this, a perfect tzaddik can discover in himself foolishness of this order. Even a perfect tzaddik is not impervious to this challenge. Though it is subtle and capable of leading to actual wrongdoing, still these refined failings are of critical importance and can cause terrible harm. For example, and listen to the example that he gives. One may study Torah for its sake. In other words, study Torah for the right reasons. And diligently, um, and diligently, Okay, so they're studying Torah for the sake and diligently, okay? And pray with concentration and devotion of the finest order. Thirsting for the spirit so that the flesh is repugnant to him. So yeah, you're talking about a person who's spiritually on fire. Yet, listen to this, when he takes credit for his accomplishments, and particularly when he's touched with arrogance, then man's pride casts him low so far that he destroys all the good he had done. What he's saying here is, even at Sadiq, even at Sadiq, we're not talking about someone who's running after you know, lowly the, you know, uh, sins and temptations. E so even in the realm of holiness, there could still be a downfall. And, he, and he's going to say in chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's two more, it's a, big, it's a big discourse, this one, that that's worse. This is worse. That Sadiq, who's arrogant about the Torah study, is actually worse than the simple person who, you know, falls into whatever. And I'm not judging someone as simple or not simple. I'm just saying that's his language. You know, somebody who is, you know, whatever, ends up doing things, you know, not so kosher all the time. But th this person who allegedly, in their own head at least, is so spiritual, so holy and whatever, who then becomes arrogant, that's actually the worst downfall. Anyway, what's the point? The point here is, just to rewind and to contextualize all of this, is that there's a constant, the, the life, life is a battlefield, and the, the landscape of the battle is simultaneously on two fronts. There is the external battle, but that's not what we talked about today. That we talked about last time. The internal battle, the internal battlefield is the biggest challenge. And it's, the challenge lies in the fact that we have a godly soul, but we also have an animal soul and evil inclination, and a body. The body is, and we have those other forces, and they try to pull us down. And they try to pull us down using whatever tactics, whatever subtle, subtly deceptive tactics they can. Sometimes they come up with the big guns. Sometimes they can't come up with the big guns because a person in that context it will not succumb to the big gun, but they'll pull out whatever is possible. And he says, he gives, gives an example here. The person who is the tzaddik, so to speak, who then takes credit for his accomplishments and is touched with arrogance, destroys. That's his word. In the Hebrew, ma'avdin, I'm sure it says ma'avdin, Let's see. Shenevad, yeah. Destroys all the good he has done. That's what Pharaoh's um, 
servants told him, you're destroying, they told Pharaoh, you're destroying Egypt, destroying, same word. We're, we're, destroy, we're going to be destroyed. We are yet destroyed. It's, it's so detrimental. So if you want to take an immediate lesson, if we want to take an immediate lesson, it's the dangers of pride and arrogance. I would say, I want to speak about this more at the beginning of next week's class, but I just want to plant a seed. It's the arrogance that allows us to come up with the justifications and the rationalizations and the narrative that, that gets us into, into further trouble. Because what is the arrogance and the pride, essentially? It's not wishing to own the fact that we're not perfect, right? It's not being able to say, like, I'm not perfect. Because if I admit that I'm not perfect, then everyone's going to see I'm not perfect, and then what? Even though, hello, we're all in the same boat. There's no one here that's perfect. That's the fact. There's no one here that's perfect. So, but for some reason, we're afraid to say that. We're afraid to own up to that. The whole point of today's class, you know, you can listen to a class and you have a class that operates on one level, but there's also like a, like a, um, a subtext. You know what the subtext of today's class is? We're not perfect. That's really the subtext. The whole godly soul, animal soul, and that dynamic, you know what the, the underlying message is? We're not perfect. And to think that we're perfect or to be afraid of others realizing that we're imperfect or to have to feel the need to double down and justify ourselves with excuses after doing something wrong to preserve our own pride to pretend that we didn't do anything that's not perfect is just to deny the reality that we're not perfect. This, today's class, is an affirmation of we're not perfect, we're not going to be perfect, and if you realize that humbly, then you're actually in a better place than trying to reject that arrogantly. That makes sense? I don't know if I said it as clear as I wanted to, but because that was the punchline. If, if, if you have the mindset you're saying that it's easier to do the internal battle. It's easier. The internal battle is still the internal battle. Um, I think it's easier to recover from a mistake and get back on track in a good place with that humility of, yes, I made a mistake. I'm going to do better next time, as opposed to telling yourself and others, I didn't make a mistake. Because when we tell ourselves, I didn't make a mistake, well, then we're, still, we're, then we're in that place. We're still in that place. Of, and now we're making another mistake, that I didn't make a mistake. And we're denying reality. There are many things wrong with that. Um, least of which, we don't have the... We're not going to change. Because why should I change? We can't admit to ourselves that we need to change. We can't let someone else see that we're weak. We can't ask for help from someone else. Because then they're going to think that we can't do something. Whoever said we should be able to do everything? That's, that's the great mistake. I'll call it the great with capital T, G, and M. The great mistake is believing that we should be all capable. That's the great mistake. And that we shouldn't need to ask for help. That's the great mistake. All right, to be continued next week. All right, so what's the summary? The summary is it's a battlefield out there. 
Getting back to uh, my final, um, final computer analogy. Remember that game on the computers that, um, where you had to click the box and it could blow up? Minesweeper? Yes. Who remembers Minesweeper? Yes? No? No, no Minesweeper? It was Solitaire and Minesweeper. Those were the only two games that the Windows came preloaded with. Solit Solitaire? Yes? Yeah. Not Minesweeper? It had like the grid, you clicked on the boxes, and then like, and then the game was over. No? Guys, Google Minesweeper. Hours of fun, maybe. I have no idea. It's, it's been a while. So all you have to do, click. Hey, you just clicked on it. And oh, it told you how many mines there were. And then you would know, you would just do the math and figure out like where to go or something. I don't know, there was a bit of a... All right, anyway. Um, it's like Sudoku, but totally not. Totally different. Okay, um, a few quick announcements, then we're going to close out. So next week, we're going to pick it up, actually, with this idea of vulnerability and honestly recognizing our humanity. That's, that's how we're going to start off next week's class, and then we're going to take it from there. That was... Um, okay, so that's that. And then, so this week, we have, we're launching a few things. So number one, tomorrow night, we actually have two, two programs. 7.30 p.m., we have Rosh Chodesh Society. And then tomorrow evening, we actually, I ju we just got word from Rabbi Wolf that he has, I'm sorry, that's Tuesday night. Wow. All right, let me just reset myself, reset again. I'm sorry, I'm like all in, in vulnerability mode. Sorry, I made a mistake. You see that? See, that wasn't that hard. Okay, so tomorrow night, Monday night, we have at 7.30 p.m. RCS, the class, I believe so, yeah. That is going to, and online, we have a dual option, um, in-person and streaming, and that is going to be, so it's a women's class. Either you can come to all the sessions or one of the sessions. It's already our third session. The class is on gratitude and blessings. And we're going to have a brachas party. If you've never had a brachas party, you definitely don't want to miss this. We're going to have a bunch of different foods and different items and scents and whatever. And you say blessings and answer amen. It's like a whole, a whole shindig. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's tomorrow night, starting at 7.30. Tomorrow night at 8.00. We have a brand new series that's starting called How to Think Like a Hasidic Master with Mrs. Nomi Freeman, and that starts at 8 p.m. This is why God created VCRs, etc. So that's, that's happening tomorrow night at 8. And then, Susan, you got to, yeah. I saw that that was an in-person session. Is yes. that also going to be recorded? Or yes, for sure, for sure recorded um, with Mrs. Freeman. The question is if she's going to simulcast it on Zoom. I'm going to speak with her. She, um, it's just, it's going to be up to her um, preference or one. I'll, we'll for sure record it, video and audio, make it available. Um, as far as live stream, I'm not sure about that. Well, I have to ask her. It'll be on your podcast. It should be. Yeah, yeah, it should be. Okay. Yeah. Um, materials, of course. Yeah. No, I was going to say that about Label Wolf. I'll, I'll mention that now. Tuesday night. Don't miss this. Tuesday night. Don't miss any of this. But Tuesday night, we have Rabbi Label Wolf, the mystic from Australia. We've had him before. I love him personally. He's just amazing. Rabbi Label Wolf is going to be speaking about how to transform fear and anxiety to, I should know what the rest of the line is, fear and anxiety to, what's the cliffhanger? To strengthen what? What is it? It's a good line. 
I have it up over here on my computer. Here we go. Do I have it up? I say I have it up, but let me click on that. Yeah, transforming fear and anxiety to strengthen faith. There you go. Which is, I mean, right on point with what we all need right now in our world. It's called Mastering Our New World. Basically, given, you know, all the challenges that we have and everything going on, putting ourselves in a, in a, in a, in a healthy mind space, frame of mind, to, um, to take on the challenges of today. He's going to combine Kabbalah and meditation and positive psychology. He's always amazing. He's got that amazing Australian accent. It's an, it's a lot, it's a, it's an online only event. He's in Melbourne. I, I don't know if he can even get out if he wants to. He's in Melbourne and um, that's the announcement. He emailed me saying that something came up, some pressing thing. He needs to start a few minutes late. So it's going to start, it's going to start closer to 8.30 than 8, but it's online anyway. I'm hoping that doesn't throw off anyone too much. I could do a little stand-up maybe for 30 minutes, or we could just open it up at 8.30. I'll send out an email, though, to everybody, and we'll adjust the, the, the we'll tweet the times, 8.30 instead of 8, but that is Tuesday night. Melbourne time, I don't even know what time that is. That's like the next day. Yeah. Talk about a guy who lives in the future. Talk about a futurist. It'll be like Wednesday when it's still th Tuesday here. Anyway, that's Tuesday night. And then, of course, we have a musical event next week. Stay tuned for more, or look at the website for more information about that, a concert of Hasidic music. And then last week of January, oh, we're doing a Tubashvat tree planting next week in conjunction with Trees Atlanta. And, oh, you got your Tubashvat uh, jewelry. Awesome. Love that. Love that. Um, and then we have... Man, so many things, all good things. Check out the website if you want. Then we have meditation from Sinai. Then we have a Shabbat dinner, which I'm hoping will be good and comfortable by the 28th. Please, God. Anyway, all right, so join us. If you want more information, check out the website, intownjewishacademy.org. That's where everything is. And um, everybody should stay healthy and happy and good. And remember... Stay, stay healthy in body, but also stay healthy in mind and spirit. And hopefully, you know, all the stuff that we do helps with that. So it's great to connect with everybody. Have a wonderful uh, week. I'll see you before the end of the week. But Shavuot Tov is the traditional greeting and uh, lots of blessings. We'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. And the book club. So the book club is the yes. Queen of Jerusalem.